This episode is brought to you by our friends at King Alfred Academy. King Alfred Academy is a classical Christian school in North Waterloo and is a ministry of Trinity Bible Chapel. Their mission is to glorify God by giving children a classical and Christ-centered education that equips them for a life of learning, excellence, wisdom, discipline, and virtue. They are accepting enrollment applications and currently have several elementary and high school teaching positions available. You can find out everything about their school at kingalfred.ca. A big thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making this conversation possible. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Real Talk. I believe this is, what, episode 47, so nearing the 50 mark. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're excited to bring you today's episode. It's, uh, it's a special one. We have a, uh, a special guest on the program, Dr. Uh, David Zizmo from Redeemer University. So he's going to be on today. We'll be chatting all things reformed education. Um, yeah, what it means to, to go to Redeemer, what they're trying to do there, their mission, um, and, and yeah, why they're excited for the future and what they have to offer. So thank you for joining us, David. Yeah, it's a real privilege to be here, guys. Hey, thanks. Wonderful. So maybe if you could just give uh, the folks a brief intro on yourself, how you came to your, your current position at Redeemer, and then also, yeah, maybe just a bit of your educational background and whatnot. Sure. Um, so I grew up in, in Burlington, Ontario, and uh, attended uh, K-12 uh, Christian Education Schools, John Calvin Christian School in Burlington and Kato to Brown High School mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. Hamilton. And uh, after high school, <laughs> jumped around a little bit, but ended up... Uh, course going to university and I did a PhD in, in history in the United States. And wow. um, in 2007, uh, God was opening a few doors uh, here and there as possible pathways forward. And uh, one of those was Redeemer. And so, you know, after praying about it, my wife, Anna and I decided that uh, we felt called to come back home and, and serve at Redeemer. And so uh, that's how I ended up at Redeemer. So I've been there for about 15 years now, and uh, it's been a real privilege to to serve and work there. Nice. Did you take up a teaching position? And- yeah, I started as teaching faculty in, in 2007 in the history department and uh, taught courses in, in U.S. religion and culture, U.S. foreign policy, um, as well as history of film uh, and some East Asian history as well. So it's a great opportunity to connect with students, but I think most importantly, it allowed me to see what God could do through Christian uh, university education and the way God could work uh, in the lives of students and really brought home to me Um just how transformative education was, but in a spiritual way. And I mm-hmm. think as Christians, we don't often think about post-secondary education as a spiritual engagement, but in reality, that's exactly what it is. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when did you get inter- interested in like the administrative side and and now you're, you're president, right? The- yeah. Currently serving as, as president. Uh, um, I started uh, in administration and leadership in 2010, serving as Dean of Humanities, oh, wow. and then have held uh, various other roles um, over the years, um, and um, served as interim president uh, for about a year. And during the search process, uh, the board asked if I would consider applying, and my wife and I, after praying about that, decided that would would apply and, and see what God had in store there. And so, yeah, I just recently accepted the appointment as president. It's, I think it's a pretty exciting time at Redeemer. It's a lot of momentum right now, and um, we're excited for what God will do moving forward. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. congratulations. That's, Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess maybe before we we look to the future and see what your plans are and, and where Redeemer is going, maybe we should look to the past and, and mm. see how Redeemer got started, um, what the founding vision was uh, when, the, when the people around who founded it, and, uh, and maybe give us your perspective on uh, what sort of change has, has gone on throughout the years at Redeemer. Sure. Um, 
so Redeemer will be approaching its 40th anniversary this year of having its doors open. Uh, so in 1982, we opened our doors to about 120, uh, 128 students, I believe, uh, for the first time. But of course, the university didn't just wasn't just dreamt up in 1982 yeah. and opened. Yeah. Um, in the 19 in the mid 1970s, a, a group of uh, largely Christian Reformed uh, pastors, elders, uh, business leaders decided that. Uh, to explore whether or not there there was room opportunity for a reformed Christian institution of higher learning, a, a university, a college uh, in Southern Ontario. And of course, there was Calvin uh, in Michigan and Dort College in Iowa, Trinity Christian College in Chicago. And at that time, King's University uh, College, King's College uh, was going to open up in Edmonton. So mm. um, they, they did a feasibility study and formed uh, the Ontario Christian College Association. Um, to explore uh, whether or not uh, there could could be a Reformed Christian University here in Southern Ontario. And the goal and purpose of this was to build on the K-12 schools that many Reformed Christian communities had, had built um, and were serving uh, young students in those communities and churches. So um, that group came forward and, and working with the government uh, received legislation to, uh, in 1980 um, for uh, Redeemer reformed christian college and so its intention was never to be um strictly a denominational school affiliated with or owned by one denomination but to serve the broader reformed christian community here uh in southern ontario so that's that's the origins and, and the goal of course was to to continue to build on the philosophical and, and theological tradition mm-hmm. uh of of reformed christianity um uh, particularly the tradition that comes from the early reformers um, um, during the period of the Reformation, but also the neo-Calvinist tradition uh, that emerged in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, uh, 20th century in, in the Netherlands. So, um, and I think the you know the goal and vision was to not only provide a Christian university education from a Reformed Christian perspective, but also to engage in academic work, scholarship, explore various disciplines from a Reformed Christian perspective, um, deeply rooted in Scripture. Hmm. Yeah. How much, how much of that was like a, um, or how much research was going on through the years? Like, I mean, a lot of universities, like, you know, like, sorry, locally, like McMaster would have like a big research division in engineering or, you know, biology or whatever. Um, is there a lot of that going on or was there a lot of that going on? So historically? no, that's a great question. And, and part of the vision of Redeemer is to engage in, in disciplinary research. So we've, we've been very um, deliberate in allocating resources uh, for academic research. Uh, every faculty member has a sort of uh, a certain amount of workload that they have okay. and approximately 25% of their workload is to be on research or creative production okay. uh, or practice professional practice, depending on the discipline or field. So right. um, somebody who's more in applied social work, part of it might be engaged in, in social work consulting or some applied social work um endeavors you know someone who teaches accounting might be doing professional accounting services or or forward mm-hmm. or forwarding themselves professionally in that field and for others that might involve scholarship the writing of books uh, the publishing of books or it could involve creative work and production whether it be concert or art or things like that oh, okay cool yeah because we just had ed Bostville on me yeah and he's a sitting judge right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably what he's doing in his spare time interesting job Okay, back yeah. back to some of the founding stuff there. Mm-hmm. So I noticed when I was looking through uh, your website and, and research for this, there was a document I came across called, uh, I believe it's called The Cross and Our Calling. I think that came out in the early 2000s sometime. Do you want to lo- uh, walk our listeners through that? Like, what was that about? Was that sort of a, 
a refocus or a repurposing of the mission? Had there been any sort of mission drift up until that point? I guess that would have been what a 20 year period. Yeah, I think institutions are always at risk of mission drift. However, I would also say that, you know, various administrations or leadership groups uh, do their best to live out the mission of an organization to the best of their ability. And Mm -hmm. each administration might do that sometimes in different ways, um, which can be received differently by different stakeholder groups. So I think the, you know, the, the writing of the cross in our calling in the early 2000s was before my time at Redeemer. Um, but it sought to kind of rearticulate or articulate a new, uh, enhance, um, become clear on the mission and vision of Redeemer. And, you know, I think that has been a helpful guiding document for us over many years. And certainly when I got hired was a, was an inspiring document that sort of recaptured and rearticulated that founding mission and, and vision and maybe put new language around it. So, um, it's important, um, that leadership of an institution like Redeemer is always attempting to clarify, restate, um, and restate again the purpose and vision for the university. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're in a leadership role at a large organization like Redeemer, there are many pulls and tugs on the organization. And so uh, maintaining focus is a significant challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been one of our goals and we've been trying to explicitly maintain that focus in our, in our work, um, through our current strategic plan, but also in some of the ways, uh, we've adjusted our hiring practices to be more clear about what it is we're doing and, and how we expect, um, you know, faculty and staff to live into that and to help us fulfill that mission. And we've been increasingly clear on our student recruitment in terms of what can students expect coming to Redeemer, what is mm. the purpose of a Redeemer education, and why uh, that matters to them. So I think always being trying to be clear, increasing that clarity, and, and reinforcing and restating what your purpose and, and mission and vision are, are incredibly important. So the cross and our calling sought to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Interesting. So like, what does reformed education mean to you? Like, If, if you're being clear with, with uh, new professors who are coming in or with students, like, what can they expect in uh, reformed education from an institution like Redeemer? Sure, that's that's a really that's a really great question, and I think part of uh, what we lean into as a reformed Christian university goes right back to our founding legislation, which talks about us offering university education rooted in the reformed confessions, perspectives, and traditions. So, um, what does that mean for us? Is really the question you're asking. Yeah, like tangibly. Um, we have a legal obligation to do that, but yeah. we also have a faith conviction and passion to do that. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like on the ground? So, you know, when the when the early founders of Redeemer were imagining uh, what what a Reformed Christian college or university would look like, um, they're really drawing on uh, a philosophical and theological tradition that emerged in the Netherlands in the late 1800s. Um, uh, people like Abram Kuyper and, and Herman Bovink and others, and and later um, Doya Word and, and Vollenhoven and, and Skilder. Um, and what those, what that philosophical, um, what that theological tradition really brought out was the idea that all of life, everything we do, everything we're engaged in, um, we're called to serve and glorify God, that all things, as it says in Colossians, hold together in Christ, that he created all things, they were created through him, and they were created for him. And Paul tells us this in Colossians, uh, not in a way that, um, as if that only was true prior to the fall, right. 
right? But it's true now. And he's talking to the early church saying, this is true now. Um, so Christ is king over all things. And uh, some of the neo-Calvinist theologians and philosophers like Kuiper and, and Bavink sought to find new ways to flesh that out for the church. And and to to and they they built a new tradition around that. So, uh, Redeemer's founding is really to carry that vision for a holistic, uh, lived out faith, um, into all callings, into all academic disciplines, mm. so that we recognize Christ as King in biology, in mathematics, but also in art and in languages, yep. mm. um, and in history. And so, what does that mean at a practical level? Um, is that first of all, I think we want to ground. And, and I think this is true of the K to 12 schools that, that many Dutch immigrants built uh, after the second world war is that we want to ground our students in God's unfolding story of world history. Right? Mm -hmm. That begins with creation, that he created all things, that they were created good, that we were in relationship with God, but that, but that mankind fell, that we sinned and that therefore uh, that created world was broken and tainted by sin. And everyone and everything is tainted by sin. Mm -hmm. But yet God's promise of redemption is fulfilled on the cross where Christ triumphed over death. He rose victorious over the grave. And he promised us that one day he will make all things new. And so we mm -hmm. want to situate our students in that story mm -hmm. to get them to understand that uh, they live in this created world as created beings and that uh, we can find um, God's uh, created work in all of life and mm -hmm. in other people. However, we also know that it's tainted and broken by sin. And therefore, we want to point to God's restoring work that will be fulfilled in the fullness of time when he will make all things new. We, we bring the hope and love of Jesus now in our daily work to our relationships with others. And we bring that to our work as whether we're doing social work, uh, counseling, uh, whether we're doing that in a laboratory, uh, you know, checking, uh, you know, uh, whether water levels are, are tainted by E. coli or whatnot, or, or whether we're doing that in fine art. Um, we bring that redemptive, restorative uh, hope and love of Christ to that work. And we want our students to see themselves as pointing to Christ's restoration. At the same time, they don't do those things in a vacuum. They don't get called into accounting or whatever it is in a vacuum. They work with others. They work for an organization. Um, and so we want them to be reflections of Christ's love. We want them to be witnesses uh, to the kingdom of God that um, uh, that Christ began, uh, you know, when, when he was here in his earthly ministry, but that won't be realized in full till he returns. So they live in that moment in history after redemption and the promise of redemption has, has occurred, but pointing towards the culmination of full and perfect restoration in the fullness of time. So we want to situate them in that and get them mm -hmm. excited about that yeah. and get them to realize that they don't have uh, a work calling over here. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and a, and a faith calling over here. Yeah. So, you know, you guys were telling me earlier, you, you, uh, you're involved in a commercial door, yeah. uh, commercial door industry and sector. And, you know, you could say, well, doors are over here and our faith life is over here, but that, you know, you want to look at, at you know, the, the world that God made and th yeah. there's all kinds of things that you can bring to the mechanics of technology and celebrate how God made people in his image to create and to, to build and, and the giftedness we have at the same time, you're in relationship with customers and you want to have mm -hmm. integrity in that. And you have opportunities maybe um, not only to, to respect others, but who knows what doors might open that so that you can share uh, the testimony of what Christ has done for you, mm -hmm. right? And point to the hope that you have in him. So you don't yeah. do that as something separate. 
uh, you want to integrate your faith into your whole life, both the work aspect of it mm. um, and find moments of celebration there and, and closeness to God and, and, and how he created the world and the amazing systems that uh, his image bearers have been able to create, but also in, in the relationships you have. Mm. So, so Redeemer's fundamental purpose is to bring that to our students and how we teach every discipline. Um, so situating them in that, that story of creation, the fall, yep. redemption, mm-hmm. yep. but pointing and looking ahead to coming perfect restoration and beginning that work now by bringing others into that story. Wonderful. So I, the other thing I think that's really important to emphasize is that, you know, Abraham Kuyper um, is often known for talking about sphere sovereignty, um, Christ's lordship over all of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some more of the controversial positions on the covenant and <laughs> baptism. But I think one of the things that um, Kuiper also pointed out is that, you know, we live in a cosmic story of good versus evil mm-hmm. and that there are spiritual forces at work all around us all the time. And that um, there's an ongoing cosmic story where Christ will, will triumph over death forever in the fullness of time. Well, he will triumph over sin forever in the fullness of time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we want to locate what's good and points to God in the academic work we do. We want to locate what in in theories and psychology reflect God's created order, but what points away in those theories from God's created order? What might misdirect us away from God? Mm. And we want to take those theories and direct uh, them into glorifying God and serving his purposes. Um, and, you know, recognize that others can take those same theories and misdirect them and direct mm. them away from glorifying God and the things that have negative or sinful outcomes. So I think we want our, our faculty engaged in that work within their discipline, asking hard questions about what in my discipline uh, reflects God's created goodness, reflects what God teaches us mm. in scripture and what misdirects or leads us away from God so that they can articulate that in the classroom for their students and, and articulate it from a scholarly perspective to help, I think, build the canon yeah, of yeah. Christian research and scholarship that helps us sort through all the kind of information, all the theories that come at us, you know, uh, from, from the world around us and from the Mm -hmm. secular Academy. Is that an increasingly difficult thing to do? Like, I mean, obviously our, our world's pushing a certain direction, but, and then also with the government and and the oversight that the the ministry of education must have over an institution like this, is it, is it difficult to navigate that? Like, um, staying on, on that focus? Yeah. I, I think there's always pressure um, from the culture. And I don't think we should be surprised by that. You know, when we read the new Testament, um, uh, Paul's very clear that there will be pressure. There's not only kind of the oppressive pressure of persecution, but in, in I think second Corinthians 10, uh, Paul talks about, you know, our struggle is against pretensions. Mm. You know, we demolish arguments. Um, so there's, there's constantly going to be worldviews at work that are antithetical, Mm. um, to, to uh, God's unfolding work in the world uh, that seek to to direct us and pull us away from that. And that's what's, I think, so important to uh, the foundation of Reformed theological and philosophical thought that we draw and built on, on the, the Reformed confessions, right? That we don't live in some sort of vacuum where all, there's a whole bunch of neutral stuff out there. There's mm-hmm. a cosmic battle going on, yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know, if you're attending a secular university, uh, you are actually being discipled. You're being discipled into mm. a worldview at work in the secular university. Mm. And mm. it's a religious worldview. Um, the nature of all of life is religious. That's one of the things that I think um, 
you know, Skilder talks about this, uh, about the image of God and how we are image bearers. We're not image bearers in the conceptual sense alone. We're image bearers in how we actually bear out each day his image. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this constant uh, draw of sin and brokenness that seeks to pull us away and to reflect, uh, to not reflect that image of God in, mm -hmm. in how we live out our daily lives. So I think, um, yeah. Lost the train of the question there, yeah. but I think there's a lot of pressure uh, and we will be seen as very countercultural. At the yeah, same right. time, uh, there continues to be space right now in Canada for various post-secondary institutions to have sort of unique missions. Mm. And, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting space to be in. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the Ontario College of, of Art and Design be, uh, became uh, a university and achieved university status and has a very specific focus on 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 the arts and the fine arts and so they have a unique mission um brescia college uh in london is a college for women it's got a very unique focus and a very unique mission and so and there are other examples um the point is that in canada right now uh, and in ontario specifically there is still room for unique missions and for universities to live out their unique missions and i think we're really blessed and fortunate to have that um, and I think sometimes, you know, uh, we can worry too much, um, that those spaces might, might be shrinking. Yeah. Uh, we certainly feel that pressure at Redeemer. There's certainly, mm -hmm. uh, definitely pressures around accreditation, uh, and our ability to have and hold and maintain certain beliefs. But I think overall right now, anyways, we continue to find space to operate from our unique perspective and mission. And look, you know, we've taken every effort to make that very clear. Mm. Um, so for our undergraduate students, um, we're, we're very clear up front. We, we are discipling uh, people through our undergraduate university programs into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. That means you must come to Redeemer in a relationship with Jesus Christ because yeah. we can't disciple you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't already have a relationship with mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so... Um, that's part of the mission. It's grounded in our founding charter. And yeah. so, like I was saying earlier, we do have a legal obligation to also live into that as yep. well. And so, uh, obviously we do it with faith and passion and conviction about it, but, um, yeah, I think there's still space for that right now. And, and there's certainly pressure. Um, but I think if we remain firm in our conviction, uh, you know, that continues to create the space, not only for universities, mm. um, but for K to 12 Christian education as yeah. well. And so I think it's really port important for the Christian community to understand that in some ways, um, having a vibrant Christian university, uh, in Ontario and vibrant Christian post-secondary institutions, uh, really is a buffer and a yeah. barrier mm -hmm. to increasing pressures sort of downstream, so to speak on yeah. the K to 12 yeah. schools. Two questions for you in that. So one, do you think that's a trend going forward in Canada? Or are we going to see more specialization? in education. Uh, I mean, you see them in business all the time, but like in education in terms of, yeah, like public school education is, is poor quality in general. And I think it's been decreasing. You can see the, the stats on that. So do you think that'll be a trend one? And then two, how does the funding model work for an organization like Redeemer? And what sort of pressures are you under from the province as, as regards to your funding model? Like how much comes from student tuition and how much is province funded? How does that work exactly? So uh, to go to the first question, if, if you mean uh, university education and diversification there, I think 
I think we're seeing um, less diversification in terms of unique new institutions with very unique missions and charters. There's been, you know, a a couple, but uh, overall there's much more uniformity um, and a desire to, if what's working well over here is generating students and revenue over here, you you know, we need to map onto that. And I think Mm. uh, Redeemer has to wrestle with that too. What's working well in post-secondary education, how are university students being served well? And what of that makes sense for us to do? from a Christian perspective. And so mm. that's always the challenge for us as well. In terms of funding, Redeemer receives no funding from the province. Uh, we're completely privately funded. Um, through various means, we do receive some small uh, amounts from the Tri-Council Agency, which is a federal research uh, granting agency uh, by v- virtue of being part of the University of Canada. Um, but overall, uh, our tuition um, right now is about 55 to 60% of our revenue. And we rely significantly on donors to make Redeemer possible. If it wasn't for a very generous support community, uh, yeah, Redeemer wouldn't be possible mm. um, unless we're charging, you know, tuition of thirty or thirty-five thousand dollars a year, and that's not sustainable for most students when they can go to Bra- Brock or or McMaster for for eight thousand or nine thousand. Mm. Um, it becomes very difficult to to fork over thirty or thirty-five thousand, especially when you're looking at families that have paid often tuition of $10,000, $12,000, for K to 12. Yeah. Um, so, so we've worked with a generous group of donors to restructure our tuition and fees. And a few years ago, we were at about $17,000. And, and today we're at $9,800 for uh, you know, a Canadian undergraduate student, which is a um, tremendous blessing. It's, it's almost on par exactly with McMaster and other, yeah. and other uh, public universities. And that has made it more affordable for Christian families to send, to send their students to Redeemer. And so, um, yeah, without a generous donor support community, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at. Uh, we also do, um, use our entire campus for conference services during the summer. So mm-hmm. basically starting in May, uh, lots of churches and other organizations have the retreats, uh, conferences, mm-hmm. hosted synods, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. uh, we seek to drive revenue off the facility that way and use, right. use the, the assets that we've been blessed with, mm-hmm. uh, to continue to support, uh, Christian university education for students. Yeah. Is that something you see going forward as far as the donor base? Like, is that going to be able to be maintained or was that sort of a one-off generous donation situation? Uh, you know what? I, th- I think, uh, God continues to provide through, mm-hmm. <laughs> through generous supporters and, um, our hope is that we're on a path towards, towards increased sustainability, but, uh, anyone involved with Christian ministry knows that it's, you're always in a situation of being dependent on God's provision. Mm-hmm. You work, you use your created gifts and your skills to, to generate those resources for sure. Um, and, but it's God who really provides through generous supporters. And, um, you know, I think, our effort to continue to clarify who we are um, and be faithful to that reformed Christian mission uh, for higher education has built a lot of resonance uh, with Mm. supporters and with students. Um, Mm. And so I think, uh, you know, as long as we're faithful to, to our standards, uh, you know, Redeemer was founded on a statement of basis and principles that includes the authority of scripture as God's infallible word, inspired word. Mm-hmm. Um, God is the creator, uh, Christ's redeeming work on the cross. If we're faithful to that grounded in our, uh, mission of reformed Christian higher education, I think, 
uh, people in the Christian community see and and want to um, support uh, that mission. Yeah, yeah. Maybe to tie onto that. So you you mentioned a couple of times like you have a legal obligation to to the mission, basically. But obviously, that's under the constitution of how it was set up and stuff. But who are some of the are there stakeholders in in Redeemer the same as we see, say, like, well, in an institution like Guido in the secondary or even in the primary schools? Um, you have like a, um, a structure where, you know, members from the community donate or are tuition paying members who have, um, yeah, a membership and like a voting stake in the in the institution. And then um, I guess the board is answerable to them. Is it is it a similar structure? Or yeah, like how does it Redeemer has a membership and um, people have to apply to become members and okay. they have to sign off on the basis and principles of the institution. Right. Uh, and we have bylaws governing their behavior. So anyone acting counter to the institution or in a way that undermines the institution, institution will be removed from membership. Oh, okay. So, um, but the membership meets uh, every, uh, at the end of September every year, sometimes mm-hmm. October 1, September 30, some, somewhere in that range. Um, and they elect the board, um, the board of governors. And so Redeemer has a governance model elected by the membership. The membership also ratifies the fiscal, the annual reports of, mm-hmm. of the institution. Yep. Uh, the financial statements and budget as well. And and they elect the board. So the board must be elected from, from the membership. So gotcha. uh, one has to become a member um, uh, in order to be on the board of governors. So, and then our board of governors um, oversees the school uh, through a governance model where they um, monitor the financial performance of the school, yeah. uh, ensure, you know, it's, it's fiduciary, uh, ensure their fiduciary duties and responsibilities, ensuring the school is sustainable and that there's, fidelity to the mission of the organization. They do all that by overseeing the work of the president yep. and monitoring, uh, you know, the, the performance of the school, uh, right. working with closely with the president. So that's so how like, the school is, is, is overseen. Yeah, it's really fairly similar then, I guess, just on a bigger scale or, or I guess more broad membership kind of base. Yep. I, I would say that it, it is a membership model for sure. Yeah. But there is no, um, I don't think in our, our secondary, or primary schools, there's a, um, a sign off of faith. I think it's, it's based on our church membership a lot of times, right? Especially yeah, we're, we're, community. as Redeemer is not, um, yeah. Redeemer draws from a variety of denominations. Uh, um, and so it's, it's a really interesting makeup. I like to call it a sort of medium tent, uh, Christian organization, uh, in a way. Um, and significantly right now we're seeing a lot of resonance with, um, uh, you know, communities in the capital are reformed tradition. So, mm. um, you know, we still get a lot of support from, from the Christian reformed church, uh, through a program they have called ministry shares where various classes of the Christian reformed church, uh, seven classes, uh, of the Christian reformed church in North America, uh, advise local churches, uh, to send ministry shares to support redeemer and redeemer mm. receives uh, close to a million dollars a year in support from those Christian reformed churches. Um, but also uh, increasingly strong support from Canadian Reformed Churches, uh, United Reformed Churches, Free Reformed Churches, and a number of other uh, capital mm-hmm. R Reformed Churches, uh, Netherlands Reformed Churches, yep. and others, um, as well as Presbyterian Church in America. Um, but also, uh, you know, I think in part thanks to the Gospel Coalition, but in part thanks to um, the impact and influence of, of neo-Calvinist philosophy and theology, um, we're seeing increasing resonance with, with conservative Baptist churches, um, as well as Pentecostal churches, uh, missionary Alliance churches, associated gospel, 
um, the hope uh, or harvest uh, churches as well. And I think what we're seeing is um, sort of a shared understanding that that rooting young people in the story of God's work in the world and providing them with this overarching narrative of God's work in the world um, and giving them this vision, which emerges from, from reformed Christian theology about reflecting God's image in every day, wherever you're called to work and serve, uh, not just as a pastor or missionary, but wherever you're called to work and serve mm-hmm. um, that that is really resonating with a lot of these communities. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we're seeing is a real desire for being faithful to scripture, uh, educating students into that narrative, and then and then seeing them go have an impact on their communities and being faithful to Christ's calling in, in their own lives. And so that's really resonating with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, this past year, we were at over a thousand students for the first time. We likely will be at near 1100 this fall. Um, and we've seen significant growths in, in, in donation revenue as well. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing to watch God work at Redeemer and, and, uh, our goal has been faithful mm-hmm. there and see what God will do. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I mean, I went, yeah. I mean, I graduated university must have been eight years ago now. So we were probably back in that time that you described where it was like $17,000 to go there. So that was, a, I guess a hindrance too, but, um, also, you know, secular post-secondary education was, you know, about 10% less horrible than it is now. Um, Cause it's gone off the rails, especially in, you know, the humanities and you know, I mean, probably in every discipline, honestly. Um, but so when I was considering going to, um, a post-secondary school, I was, you, yeah, Redeemer hardly was on my list of like considerations, mm. even though I like, you know, I appreciated what they, what the mission was. Um, yeah, this is, I guess this speaks to students, but also to like the, the structure of it. But we, I always felt like that, um, we can't, I mean, I came from like a, like you did, I guess, from like a re- relatively sheltered community. Like we went through, you know, school, like K to 12, all mm. in, in, uh, the Canadian reform schools. Um, I didn't, I felt that it, it would jumping into something like McMaster it was like kind of like jumping into the lion's den or you're like, you, you realize that you were, you were stepping into the world. It was like, Mm. you're, um, you were preparing that everyone that you, you know, saw and met was, you would just assume that they were a secular, horrible person. Um, whereas I felt that if, if I had gone to redeemer, you, you would look at everybody and assume that they were a a good Christian, the same as, you know, how you were brought up. And having so many different denominations uh, collected at um, at Redeemer, um, it seemed like a danger to me because I I was mm. I you know it's harder to um, differentiate the nuances of everybody's uh, denomination mm. and I mean as students you're being you're pretty young and it's pretty hard to make those arguments anyways. Um, is that is that something that's um, I guess not being addressed in the in the culture, but. Um, is that something that people have a challenge with in general? Or, I mean, was that just me? I just like, yeah, I don't know if it was, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was me just feeling uneasy about being able to defend my, you know, personal mm-hmm. faith. But you talked about like students having faith before they come and not discipling them into, you know, a reform yeah. faith. Yeah. So I, you know, if I understood your question correctly, you're talking about, is it easier to maintain 
your particular confessional and doctrinal adherence in a in a public university. Yeah. Versus Redeemer. So he, I mean, you know, you had to defend the Christian faith, but not your denominational faith, which was uh So you know, I think it's good that that students have have convictions about about where they worship and um what particular uh church they're they're attending. I think I would I would suggest that there is a place for sure for Christians called in, into secular universities to um, be salt and light in those spaces. That said, I think, you know, it's a very challenging time to be a Christian in a secular university. Mm-hmm. When we engage in learning, what we're doing is a spiritual exercise. And so, you know, this is one of the things that some of the Dutch theologians and and philosophers very clearly saw and articulated and which has lived on in the vibrancy of our, of Christian schools. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a reason we built Christian schools and it's because we recognized that if all things hang together in Christ, if all things were created by Christ through Christ, and for Christ, then every time we're engaging our physical body in learning or our mental faculties in learning, mm. we're actually engaged in spiritual work. So when students go to a secular university, I think one of the greatest lies that Satan has persuaded us of is that it's safer than going to a multi-denominational Christian university that has a committed and and convicted uh, perspective on its mission because we're actually being discipled into a religion in those Mm. spaces. And discipleship takes place in all sorts of ways, but discipleship takes place um, not only in one-on-one prayer time and Bible study, it takes place in the foundations of knowledge that we absorb and consume day in and day out from every textbook reading, from every assignment we have to do. It's It builds in a foundational understanding, even when we're not aware of it. Mm. So uh, is it sometimes difficult in a context like Redeemer for some students <laughs> to uh, maintain uh, clarity of, of um, commitment to their own denominational roots? It can be. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think a place like Redeemer that's very convicted about that story of God's work in the world, convicted about the authority of scripture, convicted about the divinity and sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross, convicted about his, his return to this world and, and his promise to make all things new. Mm. I think there's a shared foundation that will not only grow in every student's their love and desire to follow Jesus Christ, but for many students, it will reinforce their desire to be part of their local church and remain committed to their local church. And it's one of the things we emphasize. A lot of um, people often ask, why don't you have a worship service on Sunday morning? Christian University, you got 450 students living on campus, 500, 600 students living on campus. And it's because we firmly believe we want our students to be uh, members of a local church. And so even if they're coming to Redeemer from far away, we want them to find a local church that makes sense for them, their family, uh, their family commitment Mm -hmm. uh, in a way where they can grow and be part of that local church. So, and I would also say, you know, iron sharpens iron. Uh, that's a that's a kind of a popular phrase, but I think we it's really on the wall there. it's on the wall right there. <laughs> and I think that's that's a really important part of what Redeemer can offer. Mm-hmm. And you know, 
when I think about my own kids, um, like I want them to ha- to have and grow. I want them to have an ownership of and grow into their own commitment for the church that they're mm-hmm. members of. Um, and I want that to take place not from the position of fear. Mm. So in the secular university, it's, you know, look at all of this. It's so antithetical to what I believe. And I must be so afraid of it. I'm going to put up my walls. But what is actually happening underneath all that, it's not just the walls, the foundation underneath. How do you build a barrier on top of that foundation that's being built under you uh, in the context of a secular worldview in a secular environment um, in the secular academy? Um, Because if what we believe is true, what comes out of our Reformed confessions and the philosophers Mm -hmm. who built uh, theological and philosophical thinking on them, that all of life is inherently religious, as Paul talks about in Corinthians and Colossians and other places, then whenever we're engaged in learning, a foundation is being built, a foundation is being built. So you can go to a secular university and put up those walls, Mm -hmm. but are you strengthening your, are you strengthening your foundation? Oh, absolutely not. And so, yeah, like I think even 10 years ago, it was, it was probably not as big of a disaster at the, post-secondary you know university or the secular universities is, is now but you definitely went in in the defensive posture like it was everything you and i went for business so it was still like it's still a fairly technical discipline like um but yeah you it wasn't like you were looking at it from a christian perspective but there wasn't so much that you know driving you to a you know a secular worldview as you know there probably is now or if you were in the humanities or social sciences or psychology or something like that but yeah you definitely went you know yeah defensively it was like you, you, you were can told always something come to redeemer like, no, now no, tyler no. and get a second degree well, I experience. but <laughs> I, I have a very hard time now um recommending that someone goes to mcmaster because it's it's such a different it's a different school than when i went there but also i mean there yeah redeemer seems to be an option we, we are certainly really, uh, uh, finding that students are transferring to Redeemer uh, from mm-hmm. secular spaces saying it's almost impossible to to safely articulate or even identify as a Christian there. Yeah. And that's not going to be the experience for all. And like I said, God calls different people in different ways to different things. Some people are called to university, some are not, mm-hmm. right? Some people are called to go to work right after high school. Some people are called to go to the mission field. Some people are, are called to go into... Um, you know, sort of ordained office uh, as preachers, right? Mm. So so God calls different people in different ways. Some people are called to be in a secular university space. Um, they have amazing foundations and they're able to live that out there fully in ways that, that can engage in that. However, I think the vast majority of 17-year-olds today um, are probably not in that space for a whole variety of reasons that we could get into uh, with respect to technology, yeah. delayed adolescence, and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so... Our hope is that Redeemer is a space for them yeah. to come and grow and strengthen their faith to prepare them for what, mm-hmm. what comes next, whether that's graduate school mm-hmm. uh, or actually finding a, a position somewhere uh, in the workplace or whatever it is that God has in store for them. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. have recommended somebody go with uh, the intention of like evangelizing the post-second, like if it's a secular institution. And I definitely did not. Like there was nothing in me that was like, well, you know what, I can be a light in this in this school. It was you know, yeah, it was more expensive to go. And I thought, well, you know what, I can, I can do this and not be, you know, and I was terribly uninvolved. So maybe that shows you something. (laughs) If I can jump in and just summarize a bunch of stuff that we just, just talked about. So for any listeners who are of the age of where they're going to university or for parents who are looking for a Mm -hmm. recommendation, like if we just survey the landscape of the available options, 
you have secular options, which have become increasingly worse and they're just riddled with critical theory. It's undermining, you know, nearly all the disciplines at this point. Mm. And um, if you send your average 17 year old there, there's a, a strong chance they'll become completely uh, yeah, filled with that ideology. And it's, it's very hard to combat in a, in a space like that. Then you have Redeemer, which is a, a as you say, faithful reformed Christian option. Yes, there are multiple denominations there. Yes, they will have to, um, yeah, iron will sharpen iron. They will have to be prepared. And Redeemer's not perfect, right? And Redeemer's not perfect, and I'm no. not saying that. But I'm just laying out the landscape for people that, like, in the past maybe thought, ah, yeah, it's a bit dangerous to send your kid there. But I agree with you. Like, you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, not do that out of fear. Um, because, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't hold your faith because of fear. You should hold your faith because you believe it and because it's been sharpened by others. And I think, yeah, I think it's healthy to send I mean, you, it should be a, um, a back and forth between the parent and the child. Like you shouldn't just drill them full, full of stuff and then send them off and hope they don't, they get through four years at Redeemer and they stay X kind of reformed. Like there, there has to be a give and take there. They have to come and experience that faith for themselves mm-hmm. and, and, and come to believe it for themselves. So, um, yeah, I just want to say, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the options parents and students have at this point this juncture. And, uh, I, I mean, I see your point, like there, there may be a case where it makes sense to go to a secular university, but I think there's a strong case as long as Redeemer sticks to their reform roots and, and maintains, uh, yeah, a, a strong direction there. I think like I was actually gonna ask you earlier, like that seems like the way things are going with education is the funding model is stand firm, stand your ground and people will like, God will allow like open wallets and people mm-hmm. will, the money will flow. Has that been your experience so far? I think the clearer we are, uh, well, with whatever you're you're fundraising for. So whatever, sure. whenever you're seeking support for anything, the clearer you are, when you find people who are passionate and, and want to support that, the better off you're going to be. In our case, I think there's a hunger. There's there's a hunger for people to be bold uh, for Christ. And there's a hunger for people to say, hey, this is who we are. We're going to do that unabashedly. Mm-hmm. Um, things may happen to us. We may get... Um, you know, negatively criticized in the public press. Uh, we may have, you know, mud hurled at us, but mm-hmm. this is who we are. And uh, we're going to live into that respectfully. We're mm-hmm. going to live into that in a way where, um, you know, we want others to know that we're motivated by uh, the grace and love ethic of Christ, meaning that we recognize the problem of sin (laughs) and brokenness. Mm -hmm. And we're so grateful that, that he sacrificed himself for us. And so uh, we don't compromise in truth about him as a result of that, but it's a truth that points to, to love. It's not a truth that points to acceptance of all beliefs, systems of thought, um, (laughs) theories. It's a love that says, no, we're grounded on this. And this is why um, we're grounded here. And this is our foundation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to live into that. I think people are hungry for that. I think students are hungry for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely believe parents are hungry for that for their for their children. And, and like I said, Redeemer uh, isn't perfect. Um, whenever you're trying to pull together, uh, you know, a community of uh, not only different denominations, as closely aligned as they might be, um, but also mm-hmm. faculty from various disciplines. There are there are always going to be debates, uh, dialogue, um, you know, and and all kinds of things going on. But I think 
I think it's a space that God is doing a pretty amazing thing right now. And, mm. you know, one of the stories I love to share is sometimes that you look around, we, we live in this really neat area, right? From Mississauga to London, there are countless headquarters of various ministry organizations mm. doing amazing things uh, for different people. Um, you know, from World Vision to Compassion to International Justice Mission to Indwell uh, to Edudeo to, you know, go on and on. Um, there are just countless uh, organizations. And you look at how many of those organizations don't have Redeemer alum in leadership positions or influencing those organizations. And you say, what, what has God done mm -hmm. through a legacy of students who have been called to live fully into their giftedness for him? That their life isn't about them and their own success. It's not about their career. It's not about their financial advancement. It is first and foremost about God, how God wants to use them to advance his kingdom, to build up his church, to make himself more fully known in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you, you certainly, um, you know, we've had students come to Redeemer who've walked away from the faith. That's happened. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to happen anywhere. But yeah. um, I think when you choose to go to a secular university, back, back oh, yeah. to your point, um, you are excavating key parts of the foundation. And unless you're very grounded, very focused, and extremely intellectually and academically competent, that that can have a significant spiritual impact. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. And I think, you know, we all believe in some of the basic doctrines uh, of of the Reformed confessions. And, and we believe that that God you know, that, that the saints will persevere and, and we believe that God will work out his plan uh, according to his purposes in everyone's life. And so we believe that Redeemer is a great place for students to come and explore mm. uh, what God has in store for them in part because it's so firmly grounded in that Reformed Christian tradition. Okay. I just want to speak to some of those challenges Good. that you mentioned too. So uh, we talked earlier about that, that founding document, the cross, the cross and the calling and our calling. And so that was about 20 years ago that got made, if I understand that correctly. Mm -hmm. So now you're taking over at full time as the new president. Um, and are you looking to kind of restate as you, as you talked about earlier and reform up that mission? Because yet yeah, we're kind of in a, a time of transition. And uh, yeah, I know, you know, just parents, parents and students are kind of just looking at their, the field of options and they're thinking, okay, where, where can, where can I go or where can I send my kids? Mm. Um, like are there they're like maybe there's homeschool options, there's options stateside or, or whatever it may be. Um, but how how is Redeemer taking on the challenges, for example, yeah, like critical theory, critical race theory, that's certainly also like Redeemer's not immune to those challenges, the LGBTQ movement. Um, yeah, just those those um those waves and those ideas that have uh you know, fully infiltrated secular institutions. Um obviously the pressures are there for Redeemer. Uh, what sort of tangible, uh, practical uh, steps have you guys taken in terms of, I know you mentioned faculty earlier um, and, and your hiring practices, um, but yeah, what's, what's in the, pl in the plans for that? So uh, I appreciate that as a multifaceted <laughs> question. Yeah. I like to do that. <laughs> See what just I, get give people, you know. I just want to clarify, I'm not taking over uh, no. the president, you know, really serves to help facilitate, to articulate the mission and vision sure. to yeah. help lead the administrative uh, side and, and maintain uh, sort of, fiscal sustainability, mm -hmm. um, our academic Senate, we have a bicameral system. So the academic side is really governed through our Senate. The president does chair the Senate, but the Senate reports to the board. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, along with the leadership teams that I've been a part of over the last number of years have been trying to do 
is continuing to say, what is our mission and vision, right? What, what, what was the founding purpose of the school and how do we continually work that out um, on a day-to-day -day basis? And so um, we're going to continue to do that. I don't, I don't know if that's a new direction, but we're going to lean into that wherever we possibly can um, because that is the purpose of the school. And we, we believe and, and have a conviction that that is what will transform students' lives and help them live more fully into their callings in God's kingdom. So have you seen a bit of a mission drift over the past 15 years on those points I mentioned? Um, I think mission drift is often sort of how various stakeholders and observers look at it. I think various leadership groups attempt to live into the mission in the best ways they see fit during their time. Um, I think right now our commitment has been to, uh, really focus on what does it mean to live, uh, out that, that founding mission and vision. And, and we really believe that means staying grounded in, in a reformed Christian perspective, articulating what that means in the classroom and for scholarship over and over again, uh, and then trying to align our learning outcomes and our resource investments to accomplish those things. Right. Mm. Um, and that includes focusing on discipleship of students and, and talking about that actively and explicitly. Um, I think earlier uh, versions really focused on the word equipping um, people for, for lives of leadership. We want to just drill down and say, wow, actually we're discipling. We are, we are, we are helping followers of Christ live more fully into following Christ. Um, and, you know, the church is the primary, is the body of Christ to the world. Um, and so we want to help uh, young people be discipled into that more fully. I, I think in terms of your question about how do we navigate the complexity of, the, of theoretical frameworks uh, that are out there today? I think, um, look, you know, if you get into a whole thing on knowledge here, <laughs> um, but one of the realities that Christians, I think, through Redeemer come to understand is that there are aspects of all of our theoretical suppositions um, that can point toward God and to him and aspects that we can take and misdirect and use uh, in ways that are antithetical to God and his kingdom. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I, when I taught world history for many years, um, I talked to students about the three overarching epistemological frameworks that have sort of characterized human history. Um, so ep the epistemological being the overarching principles of knowing the very high level of how do we know, where does knowledge come from and where is, where does truth reside? You know, prior to the enlightenment and, and the reformation period, every human civilization had a cosmological epistem epistemological framework. So mm. knowledge, truth, all of that resided with God or the gods or the spirits. However, a civilization would conceptualize that we are just you know, humans down here, we don't have access to the full truth, the full purposes of, of the deities, the supernatural powers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that reflected the way I think, you know, uh, to a certain extent, one can find resonance for, um, you know, our own story, creation, fall, and redemption. God is the creator. His purposes are known to him. They are good. They are perfect. We don't have access to, to everything he knows. Even in the garden, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We did not have full access to the full and complete knowledge, the complete reality as known only to God, mm -hmm. right? Prior to sin. So, but that cosmological kind of epistemological approach begins being undone in the enlightenment, mm -hmm. right? And think of the famous phrase, I think 
Therefore I am. Right. We get mm -hmm. a new kind of an emergence of a new epistemological framework in the late 1400s through the 1500s and the 1600s, out of which emerges sort of empiricism, modern rationalism, the scientific method that actually knowledge reality exists over here as a set of defined points. We exist in relationship to it. And amazingly, God is one of those fine points that we as independent humans can know and identify and use our scientific method to figure out and pin down. Um, just like we can with, uh, you know, uh, understanding how chemicals work or, or how this is um, wood, how this is wood, how, how we can construct things, how, and so we had a modernist epistemological framework in which many Christians lived and articulated their faith uh, for hundreds of years. And, that reality was out there. It could all be clearly known and identified. Now we always recognize we're humble. We can't, we, we don't know it all, but through, we can learn more. We can learn more. We will constantly learn more and more of that defined fixed set of factual knowledge in space. In the 20th, in the 20th century, um, we get the beginnings of the emergence of a new epistemological framework, which is just now take, we're, we're in the middle of this shift very much mm -hmm. like people would have been in the 1500s, right? Um, this gigantic shift in epistemological frameworks to what might commonly be called the postmodern or the post-structuralist epistemological framework. And that is the sense that, you know, knowledge exists out there. There's this, this scope of reality, mm -hmm. but there's something in between us as humans and access to that reality. And that is language and culture, right? So that it gets filtered through language, which has no fixed defined meaning it slides based on the experience mm -hmm. of the of the the person who's taking in that reality and experiencing it so that um reality filters through something called language and language isn't isn't fixed it shifts it, it moves over time and so and culture the meaning of symbols and representation shifts so so reality is in a sense inaccessible now to us and the only way, the only reality we can really articulate is our own, our own experience. So, so mm. how we know and feel, how we identify now comes from within. And I can't tell you or not affirm your reality because there's no neutral space through which we can talk about that reality as there was in the period of modernism and empiricism. Mm, because right? language is a power tool. Because language is, is arbitrary and it's, it's deployed uh, in many ways. It, it, articulates positions of power and yeah. power mm. relationships. So does that mean science is falling apart then? Yes. Because science is very much a, <laughs> well, yes, but, but it's very Short much answer. like an enlightenment idea, right? That science can, through this, experimentation. Our modern understanding, can, like what we think of the scientific method emerges significantly from, from, sorry, this, this period of modernism, right? Mm -hmm. But certainly there were other approaches to science in the past and, and, and cosmologically ordered epistemological, uh, civilizations. Mm -hmm. Um, there was, the idea of science or the scientific or learning about the physical world and, and, right. and things like that. But um, to get back to this, this notion, uh, cause I want to come back to your question. Yeah. What do you do with, with critical theory? Um, when you study postmodern theory, um, actually read the theorists, I think you'd be surprised at how much you can look at what they have to say and say, wow, that resonates with exactly what God is, is talks about in scripture. So take mm -hmm. Jacques Lacan, for example, French, uh, psychoanalyst. Um, he writes a lot about identity and mm -hmm. he's trying to figure out 
how people come to identify how that impacts their psychological state. Um, and he uh, does these series of lectures on this. And he talks a lot about um, that one of the problems for humans in identifying is what he calls the, um, the fragmentation of the mother infant bond. So you're kind of separated from the mother at some point you, you start having to identify independent, you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're ruptured from this relationship with, with your mother. And so this is all very psychological, yeah. <laughs> but you have to start identifying independently because you, you were one, you were one mm -hmm. in the womb. It was that being was your being. And you begin to kind of see yourself in the mirror. Um, you begin trying to, you begin sorting out that you are somehow this separate confined space and you've got to fill that in. Um, and so, you know, in the end, if, if you, if you read more of Lacan, what he says is humans are never ultimately satisfied because we have this missing fragment at the core of ourselves. Something's been ruptured and broken. There's like a hole at the heart of ourselves where something should be, but it's been ruptured, it's been broken, and so there's something missing. So we never ultimately can realize fulfillment, identity, satisfaction as a result of that. Now, you can you can read all that, and you can step back, and you can say, you know, postmodern theorists right there, huge problems, identity is always shifting. Or you can look at that and say, does that have any relationship to the things we know about how we were created and what happened? Mm -hmm. said, Absolutely. We experienced a rupture, but it's not a rupture Mm. you know, infant from mother, it's a rupture of uh, child from God and creator, mm. that that relationship was broken. And that leaves us all with this thing that we're trying to fill up with all kinds of other stuff other than God in our whole lives. So, you know, postmodern theory uh, can offer a lot of unique insights that we don't just want to throw away in the dustbin. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's I think happened is that um, sort of the Marxist political movement of the late 19th century and early 20th century, um, which ultimately, uh, I think, as we all know, failed um, in its revolutions. Controversial. Understatement um, yeah. <laughs> uh, of the podcast. They, you know, they philosophers who were committed Marxists began looking at why, um, what what was wrong in the theories of Marx, and they determined, I think, you know through, again, a dialogical process over many years, the Frankfurt School and others, you know, the challenge was that it's not overtaking the, the economic means of production, the actual factories that will bring about the communist revolution and will create equity uh, for everyone. It's actually taking over the cultural means of production, right? Mm. And Foucault and Lacan and Derrida and others in their postmodern scholarship, many of whom, by the way, were Marxists, but some of whom were not, mm -hmm. um, had identified uh, that cultural power, power in society, was not simply uh, economic or material, but that, in, to a significant to a significant degree, was cultural. Which again should resonate with us as Christians when we take seriously what we confess about the reality of sin and the forces of darkness and what Paul talks about, about pretensions and arguments. Mm -hmm. These are intellectual, these are cultural things that are being set up against Christ. They are not simply physical and material things. So a lot of this can resonate with us and we can learn from it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to go back to this uh, idea, uh, so cultural Marxism has come, I'll never forget, I was in graduate school and we were learning about Foucault and, and Foucault talks about 
you know, no one can ever hold power. Power flows as the result of those who are empowered by discourse or language in the culture. And I'll never forget one student said, well, but if we can figure out how to make the language, we can get the power, right? And uh, the prof said, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and this was 25 years ago and, and uh, 20 years ago. And, and the prof said, well, you know, you, you might think so, but Foucault's point was that that's not how it works. It always shifts. There's always something beyond what humans can control at work in, in the power structure. Hmm. This prof mm -hmm. wasn't a Christian. This prof wasn't a Christian. So here, so here we are. Uh, we're living in this time where the modern is crashing into the postmodern. There's an epistemological shift. Uh, modernist, empiricist, Marxists are are leaning into this. They're really leaning into language. You know, hey, you know, language is fixed. Language is a problem uh, because language articulates power. If we can shift the language, we can shift the language to to uh, create new power structures in society. That's that's a very real thing that's happening out there controlling the means of cultural yeah. power and i think that's what we experience often when we talk about critical theory um and that it that coincides and meshes nicely right now with the new epistemological framework that you can't really know mm -hmm. right you can't really know reality um and therefore reality comes to us through uh through language through culture and it's shifting and therefore we need to affirm others reality and how they experience the world is even when they it comes to them through language and culture, but even when they translate over to you, it's translated to you, back to you, shared with you through language and power. So you can never assume that what you've heard is actually the truth of what they experienced and have to give them not only that, but you have to give them, sorry, not only affirm them, but give grace the that you might not have heard correctly. Mm -hmm. And so you have to listen again. Yeah. Correct. So we're living in this significant epistemological shift, um, I think. Um, in terms of how knowledge and reality is accessed, what does that mean? What does that mean for us at Redeemer? I think one of the things it means is that we don't uh, stop looking at the theories in various di disciplines because we don't like how they're applied or disagree with how they might be applied by certain groups in society. We want our students to understand them, mm -hmm. but we want them to take the next step and say, what points to God in there, but what points away from God? How can those theories be misdirected and applied in ways that serve uh, uh, darkness, sin, evil? How can they be applied in ways that build up the church and that build up our own individual faith? Um, and those are hard conversations. I don't yeah, think yeah. there's there's uh, any yeah. easy answers there. Yeah, you got a tough job for sure. Yeah. Um, but but I, mean, I think that's yeah. what we're trying to do. We're better to do that than at a well, post-secondary That was exactly the answer I was hoping for because, yeah, basically, like you say, I agree. We're at a shift. And, yeah, you need to take on these theories and and say, okay, well, they've laid out these problems. And, like, basically, postmodernism is just kicking – modernism absolutely uh, to the curb let's say and they're exposing the holes with with modernism and like yeah we, we are not the only rational actors in the space and it's not like we can just discover god and he's just you know there's god and there's this wood table and there's that microphone and it's just one of those things so i think i think that's that's wonderful you can speak to the problems expose um yeah what's wrong with modernism where postmodernism also leaves you empty and uh, and wanting more and then speak to what the gospel has to say to that yeah. And I think, yeah, then also like be like as a post-secondary um, institution, be feeding some of that. I know you talked about how it shelters kind of our K to 12 um, schools, but then I also, didn't say that. I think you sorry. said that. I think it's, a, I <laughs> well, think K to 12 schools are really important. I think they need to, I think no, no, discipleship sorry, no, and learning no, is but critical. You, but you said it was like, um, you help as a buffer for the world so that, you know, you're protecting. Oh yeah. Them, the right? Christian yeah. university. Yeah, yeah. I think so that, yeah, absolutely. But then also to like, to generate the ideas and, and to come up 
you know, to help with the arguments so that you can push that back into our secondary you know, yeah, schools yeah. and so that a, a school like Guido maybe knows how to deal with some of this. Absolutely. Stuff you know, there's a lot of schools it. that are, are really wrestling, uh, you know, Christian high schools that are wrestling. What do we do around sexuality and the place of mm-hmm. sexual intimacy and redeemers? But I think you guys have probably seen it. We've published a statement on that uh, rooted in our in our mm-hmm. reformed confessions and, and beliefs. Uh, I think they're even cited in the <laughs> in the um, in the footnotes there. But um, like it's we have this emerging dominant cultural narrative of what it means to love. And so a place like Redeemer, my hope is that we can reframe that in a scriptural way um, that adheres to, I think, the truth of what Christ teaches us about who we are relationally in him and how he wants us to live out the way that he created us, but do that in a way that continues to acknowledge that every human being is, is a, is a reflection of God's creation is an image bearer. Mm-hmm. And so they are worthy of respectful conversation and dialogue. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, trading away your conviction about the proper place of sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I think right now um when you, when you can take a deeper understanding to learning to knowledge, the place of knowledge, you can come to a firmer grounding of, of your own firmer conviction of your own grounding and belief, um, and hold that with greater conviction. Mm -hmm. And I think right now we're seeing, uh, many Christian organizations really wrestling with this and say, well, it seems so correct to simply accept, uh, you know, the version of sexual intimacy and identities out there right now, current in 2022. Doesn't it just Mm -hmm. seem right? Doesn't it seem like we will be more inclusive uh, and loving and, and kind. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think for a place like Redeemer, I, it's certainly been a challenge. I mean, you asked about this. Has yeah, yeah. it been a challenge? It's been a huge challenge, you know. Um, I think we're kidding ourselves if if we think no young Christian person is going to come out of Christian K-12 or even Christians in the public uh, education system without wrestling, you know, that none are going to wrestle with their sexuality now. I mean, no, we're inundated I mean, like in with a sex ed curriculum on every social media website we yeah. visit, every uh, commercial we look at, every mm-hmm. advertisement we see, there is a sex ed curriculum being given to us constantly, 24-7, uh, way more than in any other period of human history. Yeah. Mm. Um, and again, it's like it's like the student thinking, I'll be safer at McMaster. Well, you can put up walls around that, but meanwhile, the excavation underneath, like you're mm-hmm. standing there, but you don't realize they're tunneling in underneath yeah. and just excavating the whole thing. And, mm-hmm. and so we're going to get those students at Redeemer and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be a place where uh, students who are struggling, who are wrestling with what this all means, trying to figure it out, um, you know, as long as they're committed to following Christ and want to be in a Christ-centered institution, that they can come and be at Redeemer and you know, they're not going to be bullied or yelled mm-hmm. at or mocked or straight out judged and condemned and thrown in the dustbin of, of history, right? That's mm-hmm. not what we want our, our institution Absolutely. to be like. But how do we do that and live out our convictions? That's been the big challenge. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've, we continue to find a pathway to maintain that firm conviction uh, that's identified in our, our policy and life and conduct and in our statement on, on, on sexual identity. And I think our whole leadership team and, and our board is committed to that. It's, it's certainly challenging. Um, I've endeavored to meet with LGBTQ plus students on our campus. I, I talk to them about not only our conviction and that that's part of who we are, but I also try and hear what are the tension points for them? What, Mm -hmm. what are the issues that they could point to that they say makes it impossible or very difficult for them to be there? And look, if there's a point of, of resolution, 
where where we're maintaining our conviction and beliefs and not wavering, uh, but we can improve the environment for everyone and for respectful dialogue, we'll do that. Um, if there's points where we're being asked to, con- to change what we confess and believe and to change our policy on life and conduct, then we won't do that. And that's... Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very difficult spot to be. Um, yeah. But there's also the language thing going on too, right? Like you see that all the time. I mean, the pronoun debate is a, a recent example of that. But Yep. And there's there's all these, <laughs> it doesn't. Even you saying like LGBTQ plus, like that's yeah. that's a language. I mean, I'm not really criticizing it, but. It just, it's, it's a significant. It has a whole, like that has, like everyone uses that now. As if like, and then five years ago, you probably wouldn't be able to rattle at all. But because you hear that stuff so much. And this is what I was saying earlier about the power of reshaping language to reshape culture, to provide Mm. um, shared ownership of culture and shared power in society, which is what Mark's Mark's vision was. There's no God. Uh, Religion is merely a showcase to create power relations. I would like to see a society that's equal for everyone. And I say, hey, yeah, Karl Marx, actually, we know of that society. And we know a society where all sin and equity will be wiped away and we can help point you there. Um, but your no God method doesn't get you there. Um, mm-hmm. And let me tell you about a man who was also God. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, right now, um, you know, the predominance of that language, the way that it's come to sort of articulate, we have to think about when and where uh, we engage with, with that language. I think Um but also understand uh, and remain convicted about who we are mm. and and remain firmly grounded in that. Do you think you mentioned earlier, um, I mean, maybe this is two points of a question, but the CRC <laughs> is is struggling with this issue. Like, you know, in the, in the span of reformed churches, they're definitely on the more, the leftward side of things, the leftward side of things, my left. And, uh, and they'd be struggling with this issue right now. I don't know exactly where it is in their sin and whatnot. Um, are you worried about funding pressures in that way? And do you think you would, if if there's a split there, um, would you be losing funding? And then do you, if that were the case, like, do you anticipate taking a, a firm biblical reform stance that's you know, but but still compassionate and uh, seeks to speak to the issues that you know uh, LGBTQ plus Christians are facing? Um, do you, are you worried about the funding long term? And do you think? still that maintaining a, a strong reform vision will counter that. Yeah, that's you're, like the push. You're always, drift, right? yeah, yeah. You're always worried about all the funding, sure. <laughs> yeah. all the but you know, having done this work now in leadership for a good number of years, I, I can honestly say I'm worried about the funding less today than I was mm. okay. know, five years ago, not because the funding somehow guaranteed there, or there's a check in the mail or whatever. I'm worried about less about the fund because I have seen God amazingly provide when we didn't know where provision would come from. Yeah. If God wants a Christian university in Ontario rooted in the Reformed Christian tradition, he will provide for that. Mm. I'm 100% convicted. And maybe at some point he doesn't want that anymore or that's not part of his plan. And maybe he will take away those provisions or maybe that will be part of what we have to go through as a Christian community here in Ontario. And that's all okay. So I think I've I've learned to trust a lot more in that. In terms of the pointed question, which I uh, delicately tried to avoid there for the last <laughs> minute and a half. Um <laughs> Look, uh, Redeemer was founded largely uh, by members of the Christian Reformed Church. But I'll tell you a little story that's in um, the founding president, Reverend DeBolster's uh, book. He he talks about how the first iteration of our charter, our legislation, had us identified as Redeemer Christian Reformed College. So they were down. There was no email or blah, blah, blah. So they were down. They were near the minister's office or proximate to it or 
And they, they didn't want a denominational name in the name of the school because mm. they wanted to be a multi-denominational school that served the broader reformed community and even closely aligned Christian denominations. So yeah. he sent it back, asked for a different name. And sure enough, uh, you know, the minister and his team or whoever did it then uh, came back with uh, like the minister, the government minister, right? Yeah. And his team came back and flipped it around to Redeemer Reformed Christian College in the charter. And that reflected their desire to be a multi-denominational school. So Redeemer is affiliated with the Christian Reformed Church in North America, but is not owned by uh, the Christian Reformed Church. And it is not a denominational school in the sense that Calvin University is, is I think still is, owned by the Christian Reformed Church, although I think that there may be a point of uh, loosening of that coming. So, um, so while we are affiliated, we're not owned. And what does that mean for us doctrinally? And this is this is the big challenge around issues on sexuality. So the Christian Reformed Church has appointed a committee a number of years ago. Um, several, I think a couple at least Redeemer connected people were involved with that uh, committee. They've come back with a report. And I believe at the upcoming synod, uh, this report will be discussed. And I think that's happening at the end of this month and maybe into early June. But forgive me if I have my dates wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What's the expected outcome of that? I think it's very unclear. Um, I would say that there are very strong opinions within the Christian Reformed Church on this issue. I would say that Redeemer's perspective and statement has garnered support from many uh, Christian Reformed classes and churches. Not in a formal way. So no... And I yeah, realize yeah, yeah. we're on the, on the record here on the podcast. So, <laughs> uh, no CRC classes hasn't made any formal statement, but mm-hmm. we we have been encouraged by many pastors and families uh, within the CRC for our position um, and our conviction and the compassion. I I think you use that word, which is is mm-hmm. a very good word with which we're trying to live into that and live that out. Yep. So I think you know we're also seeing a little bit of an uptick in students from Christian Reformed churches coming. Um. And I would say that to a certain extent, um, churches that are largely conservative and classes that are largely conservative on this issue are, we're seeing increased support. support. Mm-hmm. Um, churches that are not, we're seeing a little bit of a decrease. So it's clear that Redeemer's position is known. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good thing. Um, what would happen to Redeemer's position should there be a split of the CRC or should there be a unanimous move of the CRC into a different direction? I think um, Redeemer's leadership team and, and board has made it very clear uh, what our current convictions are. Um, you know, my my own personal convictions, and I think I speak for the leadership team, they don't just shift mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sort of based on, on the latest uh, developments and and. CRC politics, um, CRC <laughs> politics, or polity, or or theological thinking. I and I don't think there will be a uniform position on this in the Probably CRC. Probably not. No. Um, and so, you know, I'm praying that God would be with that church denomination, that there would be wisdom for the Senate, and of course, I'm praying that Redeemer would continue to be able to be in a good working relationship, um, and that its affiliation would flourish, and that many uh, young mm-hmm. students from the CRC can come and, and be transformed uh, through a reformed Christian education at Redeemer. That's yeah. my prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we can that's leave it at that. That's, that's, that's about as fine. good an answer as you can yeah. get. 
All right, I, I'm there. I'm pretty much out of questions. I think you got any other yeah, ones? Yeah, no. I mean, we kind of ran the gamut there. Yeah. You got any like fin- like final statements you want to make? Like, no, here? I think one of you guys had mentioned. I think in in the run up to doing the podcast, something about are you seeing more reformed students? Yes, hmm. that'd be a good question. And so yeah, we should uh, answer okay. your own question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering what you sure, meant by that. I was wondering what you meant by that. Um, you oh, just... not a good question. <laughs> no, what a terrible question. Uh, I think just more, maybe we meant reformed as in like, yeah, historically you had Christian reformed, but I guess maybe more uh, okay. from, from CanRC or URC, because that's a lot of the listeners of this podcast, CanRC, URC, FRC. Yeah. And I think you were talking about the lack of emphasis on reformed teaching in the past, maybe be a barrier. Yeah. Because we had talked to uh, like Ed, I think this might've been off air, but I'm not saying anything untowards. It was just, he would, he had mentioned that Redeemer is, is kind of taking a renewed reform stance. That's kind of becoming more well-known in the wider, uh, again, FRC, URC, CANRC community. And so that uh, is kind of a, that's a very encouraging sign for a lot of parents who want to send their kids there. Yeah. Like I think, Okay. Yeah. We've, we've rearticulated things. And like I mm-hmm. said, every administration leans into the mission in different ways and mm-hmm. all of them motivated hundred percent by serving God and, and serving the mission of the school. So I think, you know, over the past couple of years, we've really tried to emphasize discipleship in the classroom, really tried to share. And we've talked about this through the podcast. So I think right now to be quite frank and pointed real talk, let's do it. Um, yeah. Just to talk real, <laughs> um, amazingly the biggest barrier to young reformed people outside of the crc is is often career Mm. i want you know this this faith stuff is good but i want to know what career i'm going to have and i want to make sure i get that career Mm. and i want to land a job yeah and i would think you know more so than well is redeemer reformed enough or is it emphasizing enough that first thing is Number one. What kind of education can they actually get there? Yep. Like cor- yeah. in terms of course selection. Course selection and degree. And know. the importance of career in the framework of thinking about life. Mm-hmm. I think you're so, seeing that even in secondary school. <laughs> excuse me. Like with Guido. People, yeah, well, people are trying to yeah, people want a, a broader course selection even in even in high schools. Right. Um, so how do we position career in the constellation of the purpose of our lives? Yeah. And so I think one of the early red flags for any church, whether that's the Christian Reformed Church or the Canadian Reformed Church or Baptist denomination, has to be what purpose in life is at the top of the list for young people. Mm -hmm. Just was involved in a conversation with some wonderful people the other day about sexuality and teaching young people about sexuality and human health. And we talked a little bit about does the church often position, um, say, marriage as a primary purpose in life ahead of following Christ's call and living for Christ? Inadvertently, mm. not even intentionally. Um, but from a young age, talk, we talk to kids about, well, when you get married or when you find a boyfriend, girlfriend, or mm-hmm. when you have children, we we front load the conversation so much. It's mm. And we very rarely will say things like, well, when Christ really speaks to you about where he's calling you or when, when God really makes clear your giftedness, we very rarely use that um, with our kids. And, and I don't know if that resonates with you guys or mm. not, but our, our language is often about, well, when you figure out what you want to do for work and when you figure, find your significant other. Yeah, that's now, And we look like, yeah. we look at what Paul says, I think it's in first Corinthians seven, where he talks about, um, you know, those who should get married and those who shouldn't, he's front loading mm-hmm. Uh, 
And what comes first in that conversation is your service to God's calling in your life, to growing into a deep relationship with him, to being living and active in the church and to, to whatever you're doing with your life, making mm -hmm. him known. So, um, so, so, so marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. Kids are amazing. Um, most of the time, <laughs> got four, four, four of them. Um, but how are we front loading, uh, our relationship with Christ first and above everything, including career. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges for us in some reform denominations is that career increasingly has become sort of the primary, uh, focus of what my next steps on the journey are and not how am I growing more deeply and how is education a spiritual exercise that I need to be aware of? That's mm -hmm. not predominantly about career, but it's actually first and foremost about the foundations of my life and of everything I'm living for. Yeah. That's definitely a thing. Like that's definitely a cultural phenomenon, even within like the cultures of our churches, right? Like the the emphasis on family or oh, larger families or, there. but even then you see that like with, with the expectation to go to a university or college. And I think that's kind of, you know, been pulled back the last few years, at least from, you know, what I've heard that people aren't, that's not really the expectation anymore. That's not almost how kids talk that it's, you know, as you know, like, I know how kids talk really, but like in school, I think there is people, there people are questioning at the end of high school, do I go to a post-secondary school? And, and, and that's a conversation they're, they're having in like a, their lives. They're kind of putting Christ yeah. first or, or they're, they're well, rethinking and reframing the cultural, um, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a personal, so like for myself, so I am 23. So when I came out of high school, well, I, I went to Ottawa for a year and I worked there on Parliament Hill and a lot of fun doing that. But then after that, I came back and I was like, okay, like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, yeah, I could go to university. Okay. But like, I'm not sure I see the value for the money there. Like, granted, like there's a lot of great things you can learn and, and whatever, but I'm like, okay, I'm interested in business. So I'm going to do a two year sales and marketing program. So I went to Niagara college for that. But I think it just more and more and more you see like there's just so much material out there online and a lot of it is free mm. and even some of it that isn't free is still like very well priced for what you can do. So if you're, you know, an intelligent like a uh, university uh, student and you're able to work on your own and you can learn online as a lot of people have had to do for the last two years anyways, like I, I struggle to see the value in getting like a humanities degree at university mm. unless and I see this point too, if you're like 17, 18 and you need that four year gap and you got to like figure your life out and you want to spend that money and get educated, I'm like, I'm not taking anything away from Redeemer no, but it, and it's it, different for different people. It has to do with all but the, there is that foundation, a right? bit of a change in the calculus. I think for people coming out of high school now, it's yeah, like, oh, they, I don't need to yeah. do that. Cause like as employers, like I'm not, I'm not looking, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but like, I'm you don't not looking need for to do that degree. for work. It depends yeah. on what, 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 but I don't think a degree to. means as much as it used to, because everyone has a degree. That's a significant challenge for all post-secondary, not just for Redeemer. Yeah. But I would also say, you know, part of the founding mission and vision of Redeemer, which emerges from reformed traditions, perspectives, and confessions clarified by Dutch, uh, reformed scholars, uh, theologians and philosophers is the idea that all of life, all of culture is under God's sovereignty. And yet mm. it's really, it's contested uh, in an antithesis. And so we want, we need young Christians in languages. We need young Christians in the arts. We need young mm -hmm. Christians in philosophy. We need young Christians to be able to go out into the world and tackle problems that effectively with skills, but in ways that glorify God and in ways that uh, reflect his createdness, uh, the createdness with which he's made us and the world. 
And so, you know, Redeemer isn't just a humanities uh, school. No, we no. have a school of business, mm -hmm. Bachelor of Kinesiology. We have a recreation therapy program in partnership with Mohawk. Um, you know, Bachelor of Business Administration, Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Science. Um, got an amazing science program. And students go out from Redeemer and they go to Harvard, get to Harvard Law. They mm -hmm. they get they become doctors. They be, they do all sorts of things and mm -hmm. they carry with them those deep seated foundations. And so, part of what I was saying um, a little bit was, when we're just thinking about how will I get work mm -hmm. or a career, we can dismiss the importance and value of a Christian university education um, because it seems unnecessary or mm -hmm. superfluous, but yet we're building foundations that will serve the church mm -hmm. and will serve God's kingdom for life. And so it, the onus is on us to make sure it's relevant and affordable and sustainable yep. and competitive. And we have to use all of our creative faculties to get there. Yep. Um, but I think uh, at the end of the day, you're investing in K to 12 schools as a church, as a community for a purpose. Yep. You don't want to end the conversation there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because, you know, I think a holistic lifelong view of, of serving God in his kingdom can be built in, uh, at the university level through those four critical years. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is great. Well, yeah, I think this is given time, a, but... this is given a great overview of, of Redeemer and like how that can be a, um, an extension of our schools in, in helping like, cause when I, when I finished school, the expectation was that everyone was going to university or college. It was like, where are you going? That was the, the question. It wasn't like, oh, are you, are you planning to continue education? Yeah. But I think a lot of us needed it because, you know, you're coming out of, you know, what is it, 17, you graduate high school and you need to get into, you're still not done with learning or, or you don't know where your path is going. Um, and, and so having Redeemer, like, fill that, fill that gap for people, I just don't think that, like, a secular university does that anymore. There's no going there to make, like, you know, whatever, quote unquote, find yourself anymore. Like you're, you're going to find something that's horrible. So having Redeemer, you know, fill that void in our community, that's, I think it's going to be invaluable in the next few years. So yeah, definitely. And moving forward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can do this all day. I still think degrees are like over prescribed for people. Like I think there's too many people going on to higher education, but I do think we need good people in it. But you can respond to that. I guess I shouldn't leave it there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of unfair. No, it's good. You know, no matter how we shift, education continues to be a passport into all kinds of callings and yeah. work. And we believe God called Christians to serve in all areas of life mm -hmm. and to make him known in all areas of life and to bring his redemptive power to all areas of life. And education's a passport to doing that. And I think Redeemer is one avenue that many students will benefit from. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. God doesn't call everybody to university. God calls people to different things. But I think Redeemer, uh, if you're a young student today and you're a Christian and you're going to university, you know, I think Redeemer is a place where you're really going to grow in, in your relationship with God. And I think you're going to be able to sort through where what he's got in store for you next. Wonderful. Well, well time there. Time to stamp the passport then. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. It's been a privilege. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you your so time. Much. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Yeah. All right. Keep having real talk, folks. Catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. 
If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time.